This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Welcome into the show. My name is Braden Dennis. As always, joined by the distinguished gentleman, Simon Belanger. Are we deep value guys now after after this after today's episode? Yeah, I mean, I think that's where a lot of uh, you know the attractiveness in the market, in my opinion, is happening right now. Because obviously, it's nice to take a break from AI, and maybe the companies we're going to talk about, I'm sure they'll mention AI in their conference call at some point. <laughs> But I've noticed that a lot of companies that are more traditional in nature are starting to have really good valuations. And we're talking about like really good companies, too. Yeah. And I would say today. So today we're doing two stock pitches. We're doing one pitch each. And we did not decide, hey, let's go super deep value. It's more just like, what are you currently examining right now? And I think both of us have come to the realization that just this year alone, the the valuation of high quality large caps is kind of running away. Like it, it it's getting a bit like I was trying to add to some of these positions over the course of the next year, and I just can't do it. Like it's pretty hard to underwrite Microsoft today. Like. It, Compared to 50% ago, three months ago, you know, like it gets a lot tougher for the math to work out. It's not to say that those ideas won't work out, but I think both of us are looking at more traditional value, but I wouldn't say that these are particularly good or great businesses. I'm not so convinced of that. Yeah, no, no. Obviously, I think (laughs) just value in general is more attractive. Obviously, you have to be selective in the kind of value that you're investing in. But I think overall, you know, value and good businesses, not necessarily talking about the ones we'll talk about here, I think they'll outperform growth at least in the next couple years, two, three years. It might be, you know, short term, maybe the next six months to a year. You know, we might just be, you know, dreading that we didn't invest in NVIDIA when it hit the one trillion dollar market cap club. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of those stocks have to they're priced to perfection. You've said that before, right on they're Basically they have to execute and all expectations have to essentially come true. And if we've learned anything about the pandemic, it doesn't happen. It never happens that way. That's right. All right. Who wants to go first? All right, let's do this. Um, I'm thinking of a number one and two, and I, I will of course tell you the truth. Tell me, okay, let me pick up the number. And now you you do it. If if you're if you're right, you go first. Okay, let's do two. Okay, it was one. <laughs> okay, you go. Go for it. All right, I will go first. Um, so I'll do my stock pitch. Simon, please. I don't know if it's so much a pitch, but it's definitely a medium dive. And yeah. please jump in to uh, to it at any point here, because it's you know it's kind of long. We're just doing one pitch each, so it should make up half the episode. Should, so, should I give listeners your personal email address so they uh, send you a hate oh email God. for talking about this stuff? Oh God, no, hard no. Um, and I don't think I've ever gone this route before because this is about as anti ESG as it gets. So let's preface this before I get people in my DMs here. I am not an investor in tobacco companies or businesses I'm generally not aligned with their product, or I think the business is going to be significantly better in the next 20 years than it is today. This business does not pass that test. But I want to help you. I want me to help you Work through my thought process and help me in the process of of walking through it of one of probably the most attractive valuations of any large cap company I can find globally. So not just in, you know, North American markets, because this is actually a UK business, British 
American Tobacco, ticker BATS.L, on the London Stock Exchange. And it does have a U.S. listing in U.S. dollars, ticker BTI, on the New York Stock Exchange. So BTI is you know, the ticker that I'm typically going to use. I'm typically going to use U.S. dollars unless I say otherwise. So British American Tobacco, now interchangeably, I'm going to refer to as BAT. It's a 72 billion USD market cap company. So this is a massive business. Um, and I asked FinChat to give me a description of the business for y'all. Uh, because, you know, I, I don't use Google anymore. Come on. Explain the core business of BAT and how it generates revenue. So it goes, British American Tobacco is a tobacco and nicotine products provider that operates worldwide. The company offers a range of products, vapor, tobacco heating, and oral nicotine products, combustible and traditional oral products. Now, they do, they have their segments in Europe, uh, the US, Asia, Middle East, Africa. And the US segment has grown at about 8% year over year. And the Europe segment's growing a little slower at about 5.75%. And the quick thing you need to know here is they have a portfolio of brands, basically combustible versus like new age, you know, the, the, that new, new addiction, like the, the vaporizers, the pouches for uh, instead of packing a chew, you're packing like a pouch or with these like tobacco heating devices. Those businesses are actually growth companies. And the combustible portfolio, like Lucky Strike, uh, Newports, Native, um, uh, Natural American Spirits, Camel, like those cigarette companies, are mostly all in secular terminal decline, which is really to no surprise. Like we look at Altria, we look at British American, we look at Philip Morris, they disclose how many cigarettes they sell in terms of sticks estimated each year, and it is all in terminal decline. So that's, that is across the board with every single one of these businesses. Um, any, any questions so far? No, I mean, I think there's always going to be a base level demand, even for the traditional cigarettes, tobacco products. Um, yeah, I, th I agree, though. I think it's probably going to keep seeing a decline because I'm thinking even like places like Asia. I don't know if it's still like that. But, you know, when I went uh, years ago, that's one thing that really surprised me is the amount of people that were actually smoking. And even in Scandinavia and Europe, when I was in Sweden about 10 years ago, that was really what struck me is the level of people that are actually smoking, which must much higher than here. And at the end of the day, there's going to always be people, I think, using cigarettes. Uh, but I think there's going to be a floor at some point. What it is, I guess if you're looking to invest in those kind of companies, you're hoping that it's not too low and that they are able to transition to other kind of cleaner, I'll say in air quote, uh, products. Yeah, they call it uh, their reduced risk portfolio, okay? So non-combustible, you know, they sell nicotine products. Like nicotine is the product, and these are just new ways of consuming it. And you could argue, like, you know, they make an argument in their, in their IR saying, like, hey, look, like, we are driving – like, you know, we, we get labeled as like anti-ESG, something you can never touch, but we're the ones like really investing in R&D and driving and trying to grow these categories so people can get off combustible tobacco. And whether or not you want to, you know, buy into that narrative or not, there are going to just always be people addicted to nicotine. Uh, yeah. in, in our lifetime and in, uh, in our kids in that lifetime, like 100%. And so those brands are views, which is, uh, the vaporizer. It's a very popular them and like jewel or yeah, I the think big ones. jewel I'm familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. That's owned by Altria. They bought, they bought jewel for a couple billion Yeah, glow, which is like you heat tobacco. I, I actually don't know this segment really well. I think it's popular in Europe, but I, I I've never really seen this to be honest. And then Velo, which is like the pouch. So people, you know, I remember in, in hockey in, in high school, like there was a, a period of time in high school where it was like a cool thing to do to pack a lip before 
hockey games. And what's pack a lip? Sorry, that, like I, I, like <laughs> grizzly, like um, chewing tobacco. Oh, chewing tobacco. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And so now you know all the all the cool kids are using these pouches instead, which is basically like you don't have to like grab the ch- the chew and like throw it in your lip. It doesn't like cut. <laughs> like it's not as gross. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> it's it gross. Like, but it's not as mouth, gross. Like, um, oh yeah, oral cancer, mouth cancer, whatever it's mouth called. Cancer, yeah. Mouth cancer, mouth cancer. Dude, this stuff is disgusting. Um, and the pouches are like less disgusting, but okay. it's still yeah. still gross. Like to be fair, I think I've I th- I don't think I've ever even had one. I, I I have some buddies that that like the pouches and you know do the vape and you know the whole thing, but I've never really been drawn to it. So, anyways, that's what they're calling their like you know, new age portfolio, and this is their transition. So the U.S. listing, BTI, peaked at around $73 in 2017, had quite the run up until that point, very consistent compounder. And now it has been a consistent slider on the downside. Basically, you know, it just goes down basically every day, like, like, you know, death by a million paper cuts all the way to the mid thirties. And it's basically traded there sideways for a couple of years. Like since pre pandemic 2019, it's basically traded sideways. Now you never, this whole segment is just very unlike me. One, I'm talking about a business that is in like probably terminal decline, not that interesting. Uh, and two, I'm talking about the dividend yield right off the bat, but it's an important part of your total return here that cash is coming back to shareholders through dividends, buy, hopefully more buybacks, and the fact that the business is actually not shrinking. So you might be losing on cigarette volumes. That's been sliding globally for a long time now. They've kept their kind of market position, but on the macro, it's a tough scene. But here's the thing. Investors have been and are today getting paid handsomely to wait because the stock pays a over 8% dividend <laughs> yield which is frankly absurd and generally you know has you and I running for the exit sign like you can't you can't get me out of there fast enough and the dividend has actually increased very steadily when paid out in British pounds it fluctuates a little bit less you know up and to the right if you look at USD given the currency effects but they have been growing the payout. So they're paying at about $2.80 a year to the dividend, you know, 70 cent quarterly div, but generating about 430 in free cash flow. So it's it's very well covered in terms of free cash flow. And I, you know, I'm going to put up here. So for those who are now uh, subscribers to jointci.com, they get the the video version here. And you can see free cash flow per share here on the business grow tremendously. It's actually compounded at a compound annual growth rate of 14% since 1995, from about you know a penny to $4.30. A big jump here in 2018 when they made an acquisition of a company called Reynolds, I believe. And it's been you know trailing 12 months at $4.30 in free cash flow. So essentially, the story here, Simone, is can they navigate their business transformation into what they literally call, quote unquote, a better tomorrow? <laughs> like, dude, this is so cheesy. Like, they couldn't have come up with a better name than a better tomorrow. Uh, whatever. So that's what they're calling it. Yeah. And maybe I wanted to add something when you talked about the dividends. I pulled the info on Stratosphere and the last 10 years, you know, total returns, which include the dividend. It's the difference between being break even and negative 5% compound annual growth rate in terms of return. So that's how big of an impact the dividend has made if you own this stock. Yeah, it's been. Yeah, you're right. It's basically flat if you include the div. Uh, you've lost money on the share price. Um, yeah, 2017, the stock's never uh, 
you know, it fell in 2019 and basically has traded sideways. It's it's basically the exact same price that it was in January of 2019 today. Um, now, if they can navigate this transition, you probably do pretty well with this stock for the reasons that I'm going to suggest here. They know cigarettes kill you, and they know the volumes are decreasing on the macro, and they know people will be smoking less globally in the future. This is a secular trend that's against them, and they're they're self-aware enough to address that in their investor relations website. So we'll give them that. Um, so here we go. What they say is cigarette volume sticks has decreased from $694 billion to 605 because this is yeah this is in millions so that's 694 billion to 605 billion so it's actually only decreased in their cigarette volume of sales by less than two percent year over year which is not that bad but of course like this is they know this trend is is here to stay so they're betting on the growth of this non-combustible nicotine, vaporizers, and particularly modern oral tobacco, aka those pouches. This is here what they break out in their their KPIs of number of customers they estimate that are using the non-combustible products. That's the vape, it's the uh, heated tobacco, and the oral tobacco uh, has gone from about eight million to twenty-two and a half million users of their product that they estimate. Um, and so that's views, glow, and velo. Those on a actual business fundamental segment, the pouches that has gone like sale of actual pouches has gone from you know basically zero to four billion in units uh, in just since 2016. The vapor product, so that's the views product, which was probably an acquisition that they tucked in, has grown at 55% compound annual growth rate since 2016. So in terms of pods, has gone from 43 million to 612 million pods sold. And the uh, heated tobacco in terms of units has gone from 2 billion to 24 billion in that same time period. So like dramatic growth. And you can see here, Simon, like this is a chart that doesn't look like a business that's trading like it's left for dead. Is that fair to assume? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty fair to assume. I love how they have like the name is modern oral sales. <laughs> or, yeah. It's all very strategic in the name. Yeah, yeah exactly. It? Yeah. Yeah. It's the, uh, wait, what, what it, what is their uh, their transformation called? A better tomorrow. <laughs> oh, it's so lame. Okay, so last part here is I'm going to talk about the valuation, which is obviously a critical piece here, and the bear cases. So the rough bull case for people who own British and American tobacco and, and Altria and Philip Morris for that matter is they're trading like they're left for dead when the reality is, is that they're actually not really in secular decline in aggregate. Yes, the cigarette volumes are growing, are losing, you know, a single digit percent per year. Look at the business in aggregate, revenue, earnings per share, free cash flow is actually growing. Not to mention they're going to pay out this huge dividend and buy back lots of stock. The stock trades today at 6.9 times earnings and 6.8 times trailing free cash flow. It's way, way down on 10-year historical multiples. Sell-side analyst consensus has that earnings per share is expected to grow at 8% year-over-year for the next five years. That's, that's not small. That's like, it's like a few percentage points below Costco, right? Like it, it, it's, it's not, the fundamentals of the business are not deteriorating. In fact, it's heavily, heavily profitable, and they have some segments of the business that are growing extremely, extremely rapidly. Not to mention, I think that their uh, rate that they're selling cigarettes less and less every year is a lot lower than Altria, for example. Um, so their brands have, have remained uh, consistent. Now, the bull case here is obviously that you get some multiple expansion. I'm going to talk about that in a second. I think it's a stupid thesis, but 
you of course think when something's trading at 6.8 times free cash flow and the business is not in material decline that you have some upside here. You know, you have like the business can grow, you're going to get lots of the you're going to get lots of cash returned to shareholders and you're going to have the twin engines of multiple expansion, right? Like that's what people are are betting on here. All right, Simone. Um anything to add before I get to the bear cases? Uh I mean, yeah, the multiple expansion is a bit of a reach, especially, you know, right now where there's so much emphasis on, you know, responsible investing. And I'm trying to use responsible because ESG, there's definitely been some weird stuff going on in that space and companies trying to use that more as a marketing ploy than actually yes. doing uh, sustainable things for their business. Um, so I think, you know, that's a bit of a reach overall. Um, aside from that, yeah, uh, that's... That's kind of my biggest thoughts is I think it could perform uh, pretty well, even without that going in the future. And I think it's also important to to remember, to we talked a lot about high dividend yields and how we try to, you know, it's usually a red flag. And I think there's two big buckets for me in terms of high dividend yields. And high, I'm I'm saying like kind of high compared to similar industries. So obviously, you know, if you have a REIT paying 5 or 6%, that's pretty standard. That's nothing unusual. Uh, but high dividend yields, I find there's kind of two buckets. It's either a business that is in decline and there's some clearly, you know, existential threats of either you know the business going out of business or cutting the dividend significantly and then you have the other bucket which i think um british american tobacco is in is you have whole sectors that just investors don't like as a whole and i think it's this one it's a mix it's a mix of investors probably thinking the whole industry is in decline versus also people just not wanting to touch anything that has to do with tobacco and i think we're seeing that in other sectors obviously like office real estate right now it's like toxic to a lot of people even though depending on the type of assets you're looking at it's actually not as bad as people might think that's right and it's so in the bucket of like red flag. Is this a value trap that it's no one's getting excited about something like that. Right. And it's just so out of favor in from basically all capital allocators at scale. Right. And so, so there's no real catalyst for this thing to re-rate. And and I, I, I agree with you, but I did some math on the actual share price. You're getting it almost 9% dividend yield uh, on the stock today, which is kind of absurd. All right. So the bear case. And and, and by the way, I usually would be like a 9% dividend yield. They must be over free cash flow. It is so covered. It's ridiculous. Like it's very covered. That's how cheap the stock is. All right. So um, bear case number one, I have five things written here. Number one is the transition while it's working now, stops working. Like it's still pretty early in terms of like, does views have a lot of brand and market? Like the transition they're betting on right now is not a diversified set of, of brands. Like the, the cigarette conglomerates have like all these different cigarette brands underneath them, just like the beer brands do so that if one's underperforming or goes out of favor, out of style, they have like 30 other brands in Anheuser-Busch that, you know, will kind of hold their weight. That's not the case with their like new transition is they're really betting on just like three brands here. So that's, that's risky. Number two is always regulatory risk when it comes to nicotine and tobacco. Look how much it's already affected this industry for good reason, right? Like trying to protect consumers. Number three is the debt load has grown significantly since that. I, I think had to do with that acquisition just based on timing, but I don't know. I'd have to look into it. The debt load has grown to about $40 billion in net debt set to mature in the next few years. Depending on which tranche, you're, you know, you have severe impact to the bottom line. Uh, you know, headwinds in terms of earnings per share growth, just based on interest expense when this when this debt comes up. Uh, number four is the bet that investors, we just talked about this, the bet that investors have made here is that the multiple should expand. 
but I think you have to be absolutely out of your mind to actually believe that. Like, I don't personally, and, and I think that you can do extremely well on the stock still. It, if it does happen, you make a lot of money on the stock, right? Like, if, yeah. they, if this re-rates to even, you know, 10x free cash flow, you make an insanely good IRR. So, and, and it's still not expensive there, right? And so if, if you, it's, it's not going to all of a sudden start trading at 25 times earnings. Like that's, there's no world where that happens. So just keep in mind about what this thing could re-rate to. Although a that, small multiple expansion could be possible, but that's I right. think it shouldn't be your, you know, a five, 10% expansion of multiple. I don't think that's out of, you know, that's, that could be pretty reasonable. But beyond that, I think it starts being a bit more of a, a stretch. That's right. I, more so like if that happens, you kill it with this stock. Oh, yeah. But taper expectations on like where this thing could actually relate to because there's no catalyst. Like there really isn't anything getting large capital allocators excited about nicotine today. Um, and, and number five is like a risk about what I call investing from a spreadsheet. And that is okay, I, I think it can grow earnings per share 8% year over year. I think it could re-rate to 10 times free cash flow. You're getting paid to wait this like in, in 9% dividend yield. Say they deploy about 5% of free cash flow on buying back the stock. You come up with like the best implied expected return probably in the entire stock market for anything over maybe 10 billion in market cap. Like I, I mean that. And that is a risk in itself, thinking that those things are all just going to happen, like investing from a spreadsheet when a stock is this cheap, because typically it's cheap for a reason. It doesn't mean that the market's right, but investing, what I call investing from a spreadsheet, I think is a, a typically a loser's game. I've been pretty clear about this, about like all my investment theses that have required so many inputs to go right, like the list that it works out is a pretty short list. It's not a, a non-existent list, but it's a pretty short list. And so that's what I consider one of the risks here. Yeah, and I, you know, for the multiple expenses, just double-clicking on that, I think people have to remember too that a lot of funds won't be allowed to purchase a company like British American Tobacco because of, you know, an ESG mandate uh, that the fund might have. And you're talking about institutional investors here. So a lot of potential demand is actually not there. So you're definitely, you have more limited demand than you would have, even, you know, if people who are in these funds would be open to it, the fund, you know, usually whether they have strict ESG criteria or ESG considerations, well, that's typically a stock that will be kind of screened out, even if it's a, a fund that's looking to have a pretty broad portfolio. I was speaking with a Toronto analyst about this name because he's the one that kind of like told me, like, this thing probably doesn't work from here, but if you are investing from a spreadsheet, this is probably the highest implied RR I've ever seen. And so yeah. I, I was like, okay, I'll check it out. And he said to me that his fund actually could never buy the stock because the main listing is the UK and they only buy main listing US and Canadian securities. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. And yeah. so, uh, and he said that many of the large pension funds are arbitrarily constrained out of this because it's a UK listing. Oh. Yeah. It's actually an AD, BTI is an ADR. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm pretty familiar with pension funds and for the uh, the ones, I mean, the ones I'm familiar with, it would be the opposite. It wouldn't be where it's listed. It would be more the ESG factors. Oh, totally, totally. That's usually yeah. what pro would prevent them from buying a name like that or even a fund that would have a pretty decent allocation to a name like that. Totally, totally. I'm just saying this adds to yeah. the long list of constraints that, you know, Large money can't really get in it. No, that's good. Even though it's seventy-two billion <laughs> in market cap. Yeah, and I mean, look, I to each their own, right? I don't think it's uh, it's it's definitely an interesting name. I'll just say that uh, for people who are interested, but obviously know what you're you're getting yourself into. I think that's probably the the smartest thing there. All right, let's do it. You are up next. 
Yeah, so I'm up next. It's a name that I've actually, we've talked briefly on the podcast. I think it was a news, uh, type of news update. So the name is Sleep Country Canada. It has Why probably... buy a mattress anywhere else? Exactly. And honestly, like, they they get style points for the ticker, which says ZZZ.TO. I think that's, uh, that's a pretty good ticker for them. And I'll try to give a brief history on them and then uh, similar to you, a a breakdown of the numbers where I think it's heading uh, based on the information I found. So Sleep Country was founded in 1994 by Christine Maggie, Stephen Gunn and Gordon Lowndes. They launched the first four location in Vancouver. By 1996, the chain had expanded to Toronto and had 19 new stores. And according to their latest annual report they now have a total of 289 stores in canada pretty much across uh, every province from what i can see but the majority of them obviously are in the major canadian uh, populate well major provinces in terms of population so you have ontario quebec bc and alberta and looking at their ceo this his name is Stuart schaefer who has been in the role since april of 2021 and i do like to look at uh, glassdoor just to see what employees think about their ceo and you know overall i think it's kind of average uh, compared to what i've seen so they give the business 3.9 stars out of five so that's you know almost uh 80 here um they would 68 of them would recommend it to a friend and 73 percent approve of the ceo so i think it's it's reasonable for definitely a commission-based business if you're working there for the most part, at least if you're selling the actual mattresses in their stores. Now, if you don't live in Canada, obviously, you might not be familiar with them, but they're a mattress retailer, and it's uh, I think it's one of the bigger ones in Canada. I'm trying to think of other ones, and they do own a lot of different brands, too, that I'll go over here. So other brands that they own or recently bought, so in 2018, they bought Andy. And just a few months ago, we talked about that on one of our releases. They bought Casper Canada. They also completed the acquisition of Silk and Snow on January 1st of this year, which is another direct-to-consumer sleep brand. I wasn't familiar with this one, but just looking at the site, it seems to be branded as a more ESG-friendly direct-to-consumer mattress retailer. Um, that's definitely <laughs> what the does sense. that even mean? <laughs> um, I think they tried to have more sustainable materials that they use okay. Uh, okay. source from, I guess, uh, you know, places where it's, uh, you know, socially... Responsible. That's kind of the the sense I got from looking at the website. <laughs> they they and, had consent from the birds' feathers before yeah. they uh, before they took it out. Yeah, and they also own brands. So if you live in Quebec, you may be familiar with Dormez-vous, Um, and they also own Hush. So these there's a few other brands that they own, but you know just to show that it's not just the Sleep Country Canada stores that you might see in your city. Uh, It's a lot more extensive than that. So it's still a small cap company, market cap of just around $900 Uh, Trading very cheaply, this one as well. So it has a PE of 9 and has a price to free cash flow of 6. So that's, you know, that's in a similar territory to what you were uh, talking about earlier. With, uh, I think, it, it was around there, with, right? With uh, British American tobacco? In terms of the multiple? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was uh, just under seven. It was 6.9 times uh, earnings. Yeah. And, you know, I have a graphic here on Stratosphere. And really what it's showing, it's just over the last five years. So just to help people visualize a bit more. But essentially, the price to earnings and the price to free cash flow it's pretty close to, you know, the lowest it's been in the last five years. So it just gives you an idea looking at the trailing 12 months uh, that this company is is pretty cheap when looking at least at those two metrics. Now, they generated $928 million in revenue in 2022. Revenues have increased at least 10% clip, well, at a 10% clip over the last three and five years on a compound annual growth rate. Net income was $110 million last, year's, uh, last year, and earnings have increased 14% in the last five years and 27% over the last three years. They generated $140 Six million in free cash flow last year, so they're very profitable. Its free cash flow per share has 
quadrupled since 2014, but it's been essentially flat since 2020. So something to keep an eye on here. And margins actually look quite decent. They've been increasing over the past little bit. So gross margins were 30% in 2018, and now they're 36% in 2022. Their operating margins are up about 70 basis points during that same time period. So, you know, it's actually pretty good considering what's been happening and the margin reductions that we've seen in the past couple of years with all the supply chain issues and the return on invested capital in the last five years has been between 12 and 19 percent and averaging around 16 percent so you know overall i mean what are your thoughts like pretty pretty decent looking metrics as a whole right it's it's one of those businesses where it was so unloved because the direct consumer names came in and you have this like kind of legacy retailer in Canada specializing in just matches, which by the way, I think is a good category. It's something people need to keep buying, you know, maybe on average every five ish years, whatever it is. I think we, I think we talked about this on another yeah. episode recently. Yeah. So, so for that, that makes it a pretty good category. The one thing that I think that I like is maybe other than Endy, but when they bought this Casper deal, for for example, they were pretty patient about like, these companies are going to run out of money. And when they do, when the VC subsidy ends, you know, it's, it's going to be back to business for us, you know, like it's, it's going to be back to, to high margins with kind of the only game in town. Like from a from a competitive landscape perspective, I'm not surprised to see margins keep expanding because they've been patient and kind of eaten up anything that gets in their way. Yeah, no, and that's a great point because I remember like four or five years ago, I mean, Casper, adver- Casper Advertisements, and I'm thinking about that one because that one's the most obvious one, was everywhere. Like they yeah. were spending money left, right, and center. And when I think about mattresses in a box, I still think about that name first. So I think they really, I think they paid around twenty million for 20 it. Million. If I, yeah, if I remember correctly, and you know, at they the end probably of the, raised over a hundred million. Yeah. And if you think about it, they probably got a ton of free publicity because Casper spent so heavily and now they so subsidized by VCs and then yeah, they swoop exactly. in at 20. So, I I mean, it looks like they're allocating capital in a pretty smart way. Obviously, the mattress in a box craze is not what it used to. I'm sure it got a bump during the pandemic and then kind of slowed down again. Casper's raised $340 million. <laughs> $20 million for the Canadian business. Yes, keep in mind that's the yeah the whole entity, yeah, the whole and thing. they just ripped out the Canadian version. But yeah, yeah. Well, even if you allocate, you know, let's say ten percent to Canada, because usually what Canada is ten percent of the U.S. I mean, you can still make a case they had a they got a pretty good deal out of it. Dude, one time I went on the subway, and the entire TTC was Casper. Like they they bought every single spot. In the whole train. Some smart spending, right? <laughs> like, maybe they get a deal if you buy in bulk. At what point did VCs say, oh man, what have we done here? Yeah. Um, but to get back, I, I was going to touch on that more at the end, but um, generally people, so I was looking at the Sleep Foundation, so sleepfoundation.org, and under normal conditions, because I remember what we had talked about. People should change their mattress every six to eight years. However, it could be sooner depending on the mattress you had, your body type, allergies. Obviously, if you have like back issues like I do, something like that, um, it could be sooner. Like personally, I try to change it four to five years because if I push it more than that, I do find as a whole that, you know, I don't sleep as well at night. So I figured, you know, because you mentioned it, it was uh, just a little insight here. Now, 
To get back to some of the numbers here, as of March 31st, they had $45 million in cash on the balance sheet and $139 million in long-term debt. Like I mentioned, they're heavily free cash flow positive, so I don't think that's a major issue. They pay a quarterly dividend of $0.23, cents, uh, well, 0.237 per share, uh, which they recently increased by 10%. And over the last five years, the dividend has grown at a compound annual growth rate of 5%. However, the dividend currently yields 3 3.64%. And it's really easy to make the case that they have room to grow it since they only pay 20% of free cash flow towards the dividend. That's what they did last year. So there's definitely some room to grow. Obviously, not as high as uh, in terms of starting yield as the uh, as British American tobacco, but still nothing to sneeze at, especially when you're looking at a business that has a lot of room to potentially grow that dividend. And speaking of returns to um, returning capital to share, shareholders they're also buying back shares. The share count is not massively down, but it's still down 3% over the last five years. And they've recently announced that they would be looking to repurchase up to 10% of their outstanding shares as of March 7. The authorization is good for a period of 12 months. Um, and just I know we talk about this a lot, but just so people remember, when you see a company announcing an authorization to whether it's a percentage like I just mentioned or, you know, it's a a dollar figure, it's just an authorization. It does uh, does not mean that they'll actually do it. So always keeping that in mind is important. And in terms of returns, they've had a compound annual uh, growth rate of eight point or yeah, annual returns of 8.7% over the last 10 years, if we're looking at the total returns, which is pretty good. Uh, definitely in line, I think, with the TSX or pretty close to it. But the stock has been struggling over the last five years. It showed a negative total return of 1.4% per year. Um, anything you wanted to add that there before I talk to you about the growth and competition, then close uh, close this mini deep dive? No, nothing to add here. Okay, so here in terms of growth, from what I could see, it seems like their growth is both strategic acquisition like we just discussed with Casper, for example, and then opening new stores and renovating older stores. So in 2023, they are looking to open a minimum of six new stores and renovate between 20 and 30 existing stores. Um, Of course, like I said, another tailwind here is just the fact that over time, you'll need to change your mattress. So the market is never really that saturated because there is a turnover here with But of course, there's some limits to the growth. And even if they wanted to expand in the US, there is a lot of um, competition in the US. And it's not an easy market to to go and establish yourself as a Canadian player. So definitely the growth here is probably where, you know, they might struggle a little bit. I'm not saying they won't grow at all, but you're not going to see like 20% a year or anything like that. And the last thing about growth, Last year was a rough end of the year. So Q4, they saw their sales decline by 10% compared to the previous year. Although they finished a year slightly in the positive in terms of sale for the overall year. And Q1 of 2023, it was flat year over year. But there is some seasonality to their sales. But it's not major seasonality. It's all in the 20%. But it does vary a little bit uh, depending on the time of the year. Now, the competition... As people might expect, there is tons of competition in the mattress space. Uh, you have big furniture stores, large retailers like a Walmart, Costco, for example, department stores that are all competing with them. There's also comp- com- competition for mattresses in a box that competes against Casper and Andy. So names like Lisa, Recore, Polysleep, and more. So there's quite a few names in Canada still for that. And, you know, my overall take here is I don't think it's a bad business. Clearly, you know, they know what they're doing as a mattress retailer, and it seems like they're being smart with the allocation of their capital. Um, I didn't listen to the call. I went through some parts of their most recent annual statement. Uh, the impression I do get is, like we said, they're being strategic. And if they can't do acquisitions or it's too expensive, I think they'll just be looking to return capital to shareholders if they find that it's good value. And, you know, it's not hard to make a case that it's a cheap stock with it being trading at a P of nine and price to free cash flow of six. And like I mentioned, that's pretty 
much at the lowest level they've been over the last five years. So definitely, you know, an interesting name. I'm not sure if I it's something I would own personally, but for people looking for value, it is a name worth investigating, I think, listening to some conference call, making your own opinion on it, and definitely having a bold bear case uh, going forward and just assigning some probability outcomes to each outcome as well. I like that you prefaced uh, expectations here. And I think that that's the, the common theme of both of these pitches is it's capped. There are certainly lots of things to think about, but that's why the stocks trade at less than 10 times zero. Like That's why you have a greater than 10% free cash flow yield. Like that's why if, it, if everything looked gravy, then you know it wouldn't be trading at, at these prices. And I think that that's, that's fair to say. Now, with Canada, the, you know, the, the, the two other common theme here is it's two businesses that look like they're not growing and, and trading really cheap, but are actual, actually not shrinking and have a lot of positive fundamentals going for them. And Canada is growing the population faster than any G20 country today. And that's a trend I expect to continue with, with all the immigration. And, and that's something that you can kind of bet on here is if you're betting on a Canadian tire, or you're betting on a sleep country is you have category leaders in their certain space in retail, good spaces. And they're, you're kind of betting on the growth of Canada here, which, you know, statistically seems like probably the right thing to do. Yeah, you actually beat me to it. As you know, you started talking. I was like, oh, yeah, like I want to mention this too. But yeah, definitely the population growth and people move here. You know, they'll need to buy a mattress. Obviously, you can buy it used, but I think most people prefer not having a used mattress. I think, you know, it's just, uh, I guess if you don't have a choice and the budget doesn't allow it. But I think one thing that uh, Sleep Country does well is they have different, a, a lot of different price options. So it's not just super expensive mattresses. Uh, some of their mattress in a box are pretty affordable, I would think. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, different spectrum and for a lot of different budgets and that could definitely be a tailwind for them is that population growth going forward um you know i don't want to sound like a realtor trying to uh, justify <laughs> that uh, home prices will be going up because of population growth because um, i've heard that more than once and i've seen it on twitter but it is a catalyst that could definitely benefit a company like sleep country canada why buy a mattress anywhere else? Yeah, There's hey. a location um, one block south of me. And I th- there's like a running store. Do they own a running room by chance? Running I, don't, room. I don't think so. Who I mean, it wasn't in there. It's a family-owned company. Okay, yeah. There's a running room in there. Like, they, oh, okay. share, they, probably, they share the yeah. space. Yeah. Yeah, no, but I know like, like we like have a couple of them somewhat close to our place and uh, i've i've ordered a mattress in a box before so um we're probably a year or two away from changing our mattress so maybe they'll get some of my business who knows <laughs> there's a nice part of the market here that like you know you always want something if you're a retailer that like there's a reason to come in person and trying mattresses is certainly one of them dude um this is the LinkedIn of the owner of the running room, Jason Stanton. This, uh, you know, of course, very athletic, studly guy here, but he's on a bike. Yeah, I was going to say it's. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> owner running room, and yeah. he's cycling on his LinkedIn picture. Oh, it's better it than seems... being on a couch with a beer and a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> he's on his sleep country mattress smoking uh, British American tobacco. No, like. That just something looks off here, but uh, you know, good for him. He could probably run faster and bike farther than I ever will. So good for him. Uh, Simone, that's it. That's that's good. That's a full episode. We did one pitch each, both unloved value names. Because let's be honest. I mean, if it's not tech and it's not AI and it's not uh, you know a sexy large cap right now. Not to mention with 
the amount of flows going into ETFs is just bidding up large caps more and more. Like they have that constant support yeah. built in. Yeah, it's kind of, it was kind of nice to take a break from AI, I'll be honest. Like as as interesting <laughs> as it is, it feels like, you know, we've talked about it a lot. And even if we don't want to, there's, you know, NVIDIA comes out and has a blowout quarter and then reaches a trillion dollar market cap. Um, it's hard you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, an accident when you're driving, you can't really not talk about it or look at yeah. it like you definitely have to discuss. But I think it was good because there are two names where we haven't really talked about on the podcast. So at least can provide people some ideas and some of the things we actually look at when we're looking at names. It's not by any means the whole thing. It was just, I would say, a, a medium to shallow dive. But uh, I think yeah. it's a start for people who might be interested in the name. I think one important takeaway, if you're listening to this pod, is the the overarching theme that we're looking for here. If if we are looking at like potentially undervalued stocks, trying to trying to buy a, a decent or good business at a wonderful price, is when the narrative is that it's dead or not growing or like a cigar butt. No pun intended here with British American Tobacco, and it's actually not. Like when when you actually do the research and look at the the underlying fundamentals, the story is very different than the narrative. That's where something's interesting to me. You know, if there's a really really cheap business and it's you know trading like seven times earnings, and you know revenue is on a comp annual growth rate of like minus ten percent a year, and probably is a terminal zero. That's that's a value trap and like just asking for capital destruction. But that's not I, I don't think that's the case with these two names. And I think that that's that's the key distinction here. Right. Is that they're trading like they're left for dead, but they're not. Yeah. And I guess, you know, the last thing about AI and I don't know about you is, you know, I've learned my lesson from 20. 20 2021 is you know when it's apparent that there's euphoria in the market um definitely now you know it was an hindsight obviously it was very obvious whether you're looking at tech or crypto you know there was you know it was crazy what's going on in the markets but now what i'm seeing kind of reminds me of that how people are just you know making these crazy bull case and i think it just creates opportunity because people are just so focused on ai they you know we talked about two names but there's tons of other companies that are not necessarily unloved it's just people are forgetting almost about them because they're hypnotized by by ai and the potential and you know my honest opinion is we're just in the early innings and winners that we might think are winning right now may be completely different in five to 10 years from now. Yeah. And momentum on these names, it's a hell of a drug. Like it's a real thing. So uh, no doubt. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the pod. If you want to support the show, get our monthly portfolio updates that uh, comes out uh, the day this come, the, the day this podcast is released, our monthly portfolio updates will be available that morning. I'll, I'll finish it that morning because it'll be June 1st. That gives you access to me and Simone's actual portfolio percentages to the, the actual names we hold. In addition to seeing this podcast video format, because we do share a lot of charts during our research uh, when we're you know navigating certain data visualizations and different features on Stratosphere. That's very typical for us to kind of share our screen. So that is at jointci.com. It's only $9 Canadian. Last plug is, are there tickets left for the meetup yet still? I think there's a couple. I haven't checked, but maybe not a lot because we've been getting a lot of notifications of people. Yeah, registering. and some people are buying too because they're yeah. probably bringing their significant other. Um, okay, there's there are some tickets left as of right now. Um, and so don't be that guy who misses out and then asks me later. So that is in the show. They're still being added to the show notes, right, Simon? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, still there. Beautiful. It's an event bright link. So there you go. It comes with food and drink. Three hours. Going to be a good time. All right. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. 
Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.